Well, as we gather here uh, on Good Friday, uh, reflecting upon the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that in two days' time we will be back again to reflect upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I want us to concentrate our attention uh, on an encounter that Jesus had at the beginning of his Passion Week. It sparks a conversation that enables Jesus to teach uh, about the way of the cross, its significance, its meaning and its purpose. And as I say this, I realise that no one has a new sheet because they're sitting on my table at home. Very helpful. They'll be here on Sunday, I promise. So please turn with me to John chapter 12. And we're going to read chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. title for today's message is the way of the cross. And in this passage, we understand that the way of the cross leads to three very important aspects. And so firstly, the way of the cross leads to glorification. It leads to glorification. 
Now, before we look specifically at the text that we've just read, let me just quickly answer the question of what glory is. Glory, in one sense, is the goodness and the majesty of God. It is the summary of who God is. Who is God? He is glorious. But as God is a spirit, we read in the scriptures how he sometimes displayed his glory physically through clouds or through fire or through a pure bright light. Of course, his glory is also perfectly displayed through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Now, while God is intrinsically glorious, that is, he is completely glorious in himself, and nothing we can do can make God more glorious, his glory can be made to be known more fully by his creation. We can come to understand it more and respond to it more. We can give glory to God in that sense by our praise for him, by our our words and our deeds, and by proclaiming the gospel so that more people humbly acknowledge God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now one further aspect is that the bodies of believers will one day be raised in glory. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was in the same physical body he had possessed during his life, but it had been glorified. It had been perfected and it reflected the goodness and the majesty of God. It was a spiritual body in the sense that it was a physical body that was prepared for life in eternity, life in the new heavens and the new earth. What Christ experienced on Resurrection Sunday is the promise of what will happen to all believers at the time of Christ's second coming. Now this is necessarily a summary of glory, but it will help us think as we... Uh, will help us as we think through the first section of our passage today. Especially as we recognise that, that various of these aspects are only made possible through the cross. Now in John chapter 12 and verses 20 to 28, we see three specific persons or, or groups for whom the cross leads to glorification. The first person affected is Jesus himself, described by his own words as the Son of Man. Now we know from his prayer in John 17 that he had glory the same as the Father before his incarnation. But he speaks now of what will happen through the cross. So verses 20 to 22 provide the catalyst for this discussion. Let me read those again. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew, and Philip went and told Jesus. So when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the following day, uh, he went to the temple and he performed a second cleansing of it, chastising the Jewish leadership for allowing the temple to become a den of robbers. Uh, the money changers, they'd set themselves up in the, the, the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, such that they could not come and learn about God. 
And following this episode, some Greeks who most probably heard or they perhaps even witnessed what had gone on, they came to the disciples and asked if they could see Jesus. More significant, however, for John in writing his gospel account is that in verse 19, he recorded how the Pharisees were up in arms because so many people went out to honour Jesus as he triumphantly came into Jerusalem. So many that they declared, the world has gone after him. Well, here we see representatives of the world. Instead of the Jewish leaders welcoming the Messiah, they were were planning to arrest him. But on the other hand, these Greeks, these Gentiles, were taking the opportunity to learn more about Jesus. It is this direct contrast that provokes Jesus' answer in verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, explains in chapters 9 to 11 how God's word had not failed, even though many of the Jews did not accept Jesus. And the point that Paul makes is that this was actually part of the sovereign working and plan of God. And Jesus recognises this moment right now. See, John records that throughout Jesus' ministry, he was constantly reiterating that his hour had not yet come. But now, with the arrival of these Gentiles, these Greeks, to speak with him, the moment has arrived. The hour had come for him to inaugurate God's plan of salvation that had been promised since moments after Adam and Eve first fell short of God's glory. Jesus summarised these actions by speaking about his glorification. And just so we are clear what he means by that, he gives an illustration recorded in verse 24. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. God's creation is abounding with analogies of what is needed for the salvation of this world. We know that a grain uh, uh, must cease to exist as it is in order that other grain might be produced. And so it is with salvation. Jesus had lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father. He had glorified God through his words and his deeds. And now he must become the perfect substitute for sinful humanity, dying that others might have life. But his death would not be the end. He spoke of being glorified and in that he included the resurrection. If Jesus stayed dead then it would mean that he had been deserving of death. For the wages of sin is death. But death had no hold on Jesus because the sin he died for was not his own, but that of God's elect people for all time. And note that it's not in spite of Jesus' death that he is glorified. No, it is through his death that he is glorified. The cross has always been God's plan for salvation. For nothing else could enable him to be both just and at the same time the one who justifies. Now, as Jesus' analogy indicated, the death of the grain 
leads to the bearing of much fruit. And so the second person, the second group for whom the cross leads to glorification is the disciples. Jesus said in verses 25 to 26, Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. If Jesus' glorification was through the cross, then by extension it must be this way for his followers. Jesus calls people to trust in him, and that means dying to self and to this world. This comes through humble repentance and recognition of our own fallen nature and our need for salvation. Understanding that before God, we have nothing to offer. No righteous deeds to claim that we might be acceptable to him. The statements made by Jesus are clear, they are definite, and they remove any middle ground. We will either hate the kind of life this world offers, renouncing it and trusting completely in Christ, or we will love the things of this life and renounce Christ. One leads to blessing, the other leads to destruction. One leads to eternal life, the other leads to eternal conscious death. But the promise is that for those who die to themselves by trusting in Christ, then as they have been united in his death, so they will be united in his resurrection. Jesus says here in verse 26 that the Father will honour those who serve Christ. This means that their sacrifice will be vindicated. It will be proved to have been the right choice. When we turn from the world and to Christ, we will experience the forgiveness of our sins and new life with God. And when Christ returns at the end of this world to judge it, then our bodies will also be honoured. They will be glorified like Christ's resurrected body too. Imperishable, glorious, fit for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, the final person that is glorified through the cross is the Father. God the Father is drawn into the picture here as God the Son in his humanity contemplates the path he's about to go down. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Although the thought of the crucifixion would have brought fear, uh, what Jesus was to experience on the cross was far more than physical pain. He went to the cross to endure the judgment of the sins of his people. Even though Jesus was sinless, on the cross, the sins of the elect of all time were imputed to him. They were accounted as his And he bore the righteous wrath of God in their place. That is why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced 
what should have been done to his people. That is why his soul was troubled. And if Jesus was troubled at the prospect of enduring the wrath of God, then certainly that should make anyone who hasn't trusted in him feel even more troubled. Because that is what sinners deserve. That is what awaits anyone who does not trust in Christ for salvation. But the good news, the gospel is that Christ did go to the cross to redeem his people from slavery to sin, to purchase their freedom. And so when a sinner repents and believes in Christ, they understand that Christ died to save them, that they were in the mind of Christ when he resisted any fear of his own and set his face towards the cross. And he reminds himself and us in verse 27 that it was for this purpose that he had come. And so he asks that the Father glorify his own name. And what does that mean? Well, remember that God can't become any more glorious in himself than he already is. But his name His character, all that he is, can become more widely known, acknowledged and praised. Jesus, he prays that the Father would strengthen him, strengthen his humanity, so that he would continue to the cross and that God the Father would be praised by what would be achieved, the salvation of sinners. Well, marvellously, there is a response to this prayer in verse 28. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. God spoke audibly in Jesus' earthly ministry three times, at his baptism, at his transfiguration and right now, right here in the lead up to the cross. The Father affirmed that his name had been glorified already, no doubt through the incarnation of Jesus, his person and his works. John chapter 1 and verse 14 states, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Father had been glorified through Jesus' life and his ministry, and he would soon be glorified again through Jesus' death, his resurrection and his ascension. What was the most terrible display of injustice the world has ever seen under the sovereignty of God was the means for the glorification of the Father, of the Son, and all who would trust in Him. So the way of the cross leads firstly to to glorification, but there is more. Secondly, the way of the cross leads to adjudication, a judgment. The cross is God's decree upon this world's sinfulness, its disobedience, its falling short of his glory. The depth of human sin against holy God is shown by the depth of God's plan for salvation. The death of Jesus Christ, the sinless one. And while there will be a final judgment at Christ's return, it was through his death and resurrection that the verdict was made. Now this adjudication involves two aspects. There is both justice and there is mercy. 
There is justice against sin. And there is mercy in salvation. So in verses 29 to 31, Jesus explains firstly how an adjudication is made of justice. And it comes off the back of the Father's words uttered from heaven. See, the the spiritual blindness of the people does not enable them to understand what is going on. Some fail to identify the noise from heaven was a voice. They thought it was thunder. Others heard words, but they failed to identify that the voice belonged to the Father. This lack of understanding, however, does not negate the fact that the words were spoken for them. Verse 30, Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. We might ask, well, how can uh, the words be of any use if they weren't understood? Well, the fact that they could not understand them is a direct sign that they were not listening to God in the first place. And as such, the words serve as an indictment against them and as an act for them to repent. But moreover, the words of the Father serve a purpose for future generations. When John wrote his gospel account, those who read it in the first century would have come to learn what God said and then understand the purpose and importance of the cross. And this in turn is a benefit for us as we read it today on Good Friday, almost 2,000 years after they were first uttered by the Father. They serve as a challenge for us, beckoning us to listen and respond appropriately. Now, some may write this off as a fable, right? A fabrication of the early church. But when John wrote his gospel, he wrote as an eyewitness of the event. And he wrote only some 50 years after the actual event itself, with many around still able to refute this if it were made up. But of course, this did not happen. Now, The nature of how God would glorify himself through the cross is seen through the justice that will be wrought. Jesus declared in verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Well, here is the reason why Jesus had said earlier that if you love your life, you will lose it. Because if you want to hold on to the values of this world, the riches of this world, all the things that oppose God... You need to know that the cross ensures God's justice will prevail. The final judgment of this world will come at Christ's second coming. But it was through the cross that the world in its disobedience to God, in its fallenness from his glory, in its failure to honour him as holy, sovereign creator, through the cross the world is judged and found guilty. A major part of this judgment is the casting out of its ruler. The one commonly referred to as Satan or the devil or the God of this age. Jesus' statement here refutes any ideology that suggests that the devil is simply the personification of evil in general. No, the devil is a being. But he's not a being on the same level as God. There's there's no balance between the force and the dark side here. 
The devil is a creation of the creator. The devil is God's devil. And only God is sovereign. And we see that through the cross, the devil's schemes were defeated and any authority he possessed was stripped. In Colossians 2 verse 15, we read that it was through the cross that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Again, while the devil's final judgment will not happen until Christ returns and Christ throws him into the lake of fire, we see that it was through the cross that he was defeated. He will continue to rage against God until that last day, but he has been judged. Now, why is that important? Because if we do not respond to God in humility and faith, then we will face the same just judgment. Revelation 20 verse 15 is a vision of this final judgment and states emphatically that if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the same lake that Satan will be tossed into, the lake that will bring torment day and night forever and ever. We do not want to face God's judgment and his justice. But how can this be avoided? By recognising, secondly, how through the cross an adjudication is made of mercy. Jesus explains in verses 32 to 33. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus' death was an act of mercy. A means, the only means that enables salvation for sinners. Now please note that Jesus is not stating that on the cross he would bring salvation to all people. Jesus was not a universalist. He is not a universalist. If we look earlier in John's gospel, we see Jesus' clarity about who would be saved. In John 6 verse 44, Jesus declared, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Jesus clearly taught that not all would be saved, but only those whom God had sovereignly elected. What Jesus means here in John chapter 12 verse 32 is explained by the fact that this event was precipitated by the arrival of the Greeks wanting to come and speak to him. Through the cross... Jesus would draw all people, that is, all types of people to himself. He was not offering salvation merely for the Jews, but for all people, regardless of race. That's why in Romans 10, verses 11 to 12, we read, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Now, while it is true that God has sovereignly determined whom he will save, salvation comes as the Holy Spirit regenerates people's hearts in connection to hearing the gospel preached. There are no regenerate people who have not heard the word of Christ. And so, from a human perspective as Christians, we are called to preach to all people, 
about the mercy of God in the cross with the assurance that God will save his own. But from a human perspective for non-Christians, non-believers, the question is how you will respond to the message of mercy. There is a choice that we each must make. And it is the most important choice of our lives because it has eternal consequences. We may choose to ignore Christ, but this will mean one day standing before God's judgment throne where his holiness, his infinite holiness, will shine a light on our infinite filthiness of our sin. And we will experience his justice against us in full. Or we can respond now to his merciful actions in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can repent of our sin. We can believe in Christ intellectually, emotionally and obediently. And we can find ourselves as among those Christ had in mind when he was lifted up on that cursed cross. In doing so, we will have our sins imputed to him and Christ's righteousness imputed to us and we will stand justified before God and all this by his mercy alone. So the way of the cross leads secondly to adjudication, but there is one more aspect. Thirdly, the way of the cross leads to revelation. What does the cross reveal? Well, two things. Firstly, it explains about the law. Now, the law generally refers to the first five books of the Bible, but here it refers to the whole Old Testament. So verse 34. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Well, only a day or so before, the crowd had welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem with shouts of praise, declaring him to be the King of Israel, declaring him to be the Messiah, the Christ. They, of course, were not wrong to do so, because that is who Jesus is. But while their proclamation was right, their perception was wrong. They thought... He was going to be the conquering Davidic king who would free them from the shackles of Roman oppression. But now that Jesus is speaking about death, they're all confused. I mean, they they knew the Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah 9 verse 7, which said that the Messiah, David's son, would have a throne that would last forevermore. But now... The one who they think is the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, he's speaking as if he's going to die. That can't be right, can it? But what they did not understand is that the Messiah of Isaiah 9 is also the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. The one of whom it is written in verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Only through the cross, only through Jesus' death and resurrection could this connection be made and the means of God's salvation plan be understood. It was all there in the Old Testament but only the cross enabled it to be fully revealed. 
This leads us to the second revelation made by the cross. By it we learn about the light. From verse 35. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. At one point earlier in his ministry, Jesus declared himself to be the light of this world. And here again, he speaks of himself as the light that is about to go away and leaving everyone who has not trusted in him wandering out about as if in darkness. Now, Jesus could only make these claims because he knew what was coming. He knew he was about to die, but he knew he would subsequently be raised from the dead. Now, from the standpoint of those he was speaking to at the time, it was a call to repentance and faith in what he was about to do. From the standpoint of March 30th, 2018, it is a call to repentance and faith in view of what he has done, in view of what the cross truly revealed Jesus to be. The validity of his invitation to believe in him all stand on the factuality of the cross and the resurrection. If that did not happen, then we can ignore what Jesus said. In fact, we should ignore everything he has said because it's clear that he was either a liar or a lunatic. We shouldn't give him the time of day. But if the resurrection did happen, then this claim to be the light is true and we ignore it at our peril because if we do not walk in the light we will walk in in darkness and face the judgment of God the truth of this is enacted by Jesus as we read in the final part of verse 36 that when Jesus had said these things he departed and hid himself from them on the flip side however If we understand this revelation to be true, and if we take up Jesus' invitation to follow him, then his promise for those who believe will become ours. We will become sons of light. We will be brought into the pureness and goodness of God's kingdom, knowing him as gracious and merciful father, and having the assurance of eternal life with him. So the way of the cross leads to glorification. It leads to adjudication and it leads to revelation. As we sit here today on Good Friday, we recognise that all of this is made possible by Resurrection Sunday. And I pray that we would all see the significance of the cross and humbly respond to God's merciful work in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the clarity of Jesus' teaching here in the days leading up to his crucifixion. We thank you that uh, this did not sneak up on him. It was not a failure, but it was uh, the purpose for which he had come. Father, we thank you for his faithfulness, his conviction 
and for the joy that he saw of what the cross would achieve. Father, we thank you for the promise of new life, the forgiveness of sins that is found through trusting in him. And we pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, enable us to do that. Father, we thank you for the cross, for what you have achieved through it. We thank you for your merciful action. And we pray that you would help us to give glory to you all the days of our life. In your son's name we pray. Amen.